Welcome, everyone, to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. Or to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The Feast of Dedication in John 10 is Hanukkah, or the Festival of Light. It celebrates a miracle in which God provided light to clean out the defiled temple for eight days during the period of the Maccabeans. The Jews celebrate those eight days of Hanukkah by lighting a menorah, one candle for each day until all are lit on the eighth day. The Jews of Jesus' day were waiting at Hanukkah for the Messiah to come and teach them how it is that all that is defiled can be made clean. Jesus reveals to them that he is the one who cleanses from the defilement of sin and gives light of life to all people. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that is celebrated and hoped for at Hanukkah. They played it up because they were oppressed under the Roman rule and leadership was so in debt, the feast of dedication came, the feast of Hanukkah came, they lit all their lights. In fact, one historian suggests that they didn't just light a light for each family in their home, but each member in the family in the home would light a separate menorah. And so if there were eight people living in the home, there were eight lights, or 10 people living in the home, there were 10 lights lit on the first day, and on the last day, there were 80 lights that were lit in that home, so that at the end of Hanukkah, every house was beaming with light. Expressing the light that God gave to dedicate and make clean their lives so that they might be restored into a proper worship of God. That's what was celebrated at that time. The Lord Jesus comes along at this time and says that this miracle light that was given at that point in time was a warrant that God was among you and that God was working. And by the way, the Jews oftentimes asked the Lord Jesus for a sign to prove that he was who he said he was or who they suspected that he was. And and he usually didn't give it to them. I, I was actually remembering a story my brother told me. We had a little boy in our neighborhood when we were little kids growing up on Bainbridge Island. Richie was the boy's name, Richie Sparks, Richie Spark. My brother was trying to share the gospel with him and tell him about Jesus and get him to believe in God. And Richie said he didn't believe in God. And John was trying to convince him and they were outside playing basketball by Richie's barn. And Richie said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll believe in God if I make this basket. And so Richie, uh, he went away from the barn a number of paces, and then he began to turn himself around in circles, and then all of a sudden he hucked the ball as hard as he could, and he was throwing it over the barn. So it was not even near where the basket was. It was over the barn, away from where the barn was. But as it was going, it hit a light at the end of a tall light pole, and it deflected directly down and swished to the bank basket. <laughs> My brother said he led him to Christ that day. I don't know if that's the case or not. Looking for a sign, looking for evidence. Light, the people said. Light in this time was a sign of God's miracle presence among us. Jesus' answer says, though you don't believe in me, believe in my works. And you will know that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Look, I'm, I'm evidencing it. Believe all the things I've done. I've already given you the evidence of who I am, what I've come to do. The Jews wanted a testimony of light because God had given them throughout their season light as a testimony of his presence. There was the light of the burning bush that Moses came to. There was a light of fire that came down on Mount Sinai when the law was given. 
There was the light of fire that came down upon the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies after it was established and Moses dedicated the temple as they were wandering through the wilderness. And later on when the temple was built and Solomon dedicated the temple, there was fire again that came down of light that came upon that place that was so intense that all the priests and all the singers and all the worshipers had to draw back from the temple. They couldn't be in that place. So intense was the power of God's light in that moment. There was light, as we've studied just recently, that came upon Mount Carmel, upon the altar that Elijah offered up to demonstrate that the Lord was God over all the people instead of Baal. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was another great feast that took place just prior to the Feast of Dedication, it was also a feast that was full of lights as the people celebrated the light that came upon them as they wandered out of Egypt and the wilderness into, and they made their way and booze into the promised land. And so it was, a, it was a celebration that was involved a lot of light. In fact, some people suggest that the Feast of Dedication was actually a delayed Feast of Tabernacles. This light offered to the Jews a light of comfort. It told them that God was with them. It's still today true, isn't it? Isn't light a comfort? How many of you have little children that want to have a night light in their room? Just a little light, just a little crack in the door to leave open. You know, we have grandkids that came over the other day and they're kind of noisy. And we're going to spend the night with us, and we put them in the bed, and then I go to close the door, and they cry out as soon as you start closing. No, no, I've got to leave it open, just a crack. We want it closed so we can talk, and they not hear us, but they want it open a little bit. They want a little light to come in. It's comforting to them. It was a light of confirmation that God would direct them and guide them. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where the lights have gone out in your house or you woke up in the middle of the night going somewhere and you've walked with one foot on one side of a door jam and one foot on the other side of the door jam and you wish you had a light to confirm your way so you know where you're going. And it was a light of confirmation leading them in God's will and God's purposes for their lives. The light that God gave was a light of cleansing as well as we've talked about here. They needed light to cleanse out that temple. You won't do an efficient job of being clean and washing yourself if you don't have the lights on. You need to see in the light. It was also a light of commitment. It was a light that told them that God was among them and with them and that God was bringing the dawning of his Messiah. As we just read in Isaiah chapter 9. Let's go back and read it again. Let me read to you verse 2 and verses 6 and 7. This idea that light confirms the presence of God and, and demonstrates God's commitment to be among them and with them. Verse 2 of Isaiah 9, the prophet says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. Light is an expression of God's committed presence that God will answer and do what God has promised to do in their lives. John chapter 11, we have the miracle of the Lord Jesus raising from the dead Lazarus, which demonstrates that he is that one, that prophet, who's able to come and deal with the defiling elements of sin. But that miracle also is a miracle that demonstrates that he is the one who brings true light to people's lives. For in the moment in which the Lord Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, the dead, lifeless eyes of Lazarus sparkled with the light of life. And he came out. And Christ put there in that place 
an evidence of the comforting, confirming, cleansing, committed light that comes even at the point of death and even in the grave. It was light. And it was this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead that kind of went over into the next festival that takes place you'll read about in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, we're now at the Feast of Passover, but the people are still enamored by this miracle that's been performed, vindicating or demonstrating the messianic power of Christ to both remove defilement from sin and to bring life to light in people's lives, or light to life in people's lives. And so they're still talking about the bringing back from the dead of Lazarus. In fact, the people are gathering around at that time to see Jesus, but they're also gathering around to see Lazarus because Jesus is with Lazarus during this last Passover feast. And if you read chapter 12, you see multiple times that the Lord Jesus speaking in light of the people as they gather around Lazarus, Jesus speaking of the fact that he's come to bring light. He's come to bring light, and he's the fulfillment of light. In verse 46 of John chapter 12, at the end of the feast, Jesus cries out, I have come as a light into the world. Whoever believes in me shall not walk in darkness. I'm an answer to the concerns and the riddles that were introduced at the feast of dedication. I'm the one who removes defilement from life. And I'm the one. I'm the one who brings you light. I'm the answer. Our Savior is the fulfillment of Hanukkah's promise. He's not only the one who cleanses us, He's our abiding, ever-shining light who lives within us, expressing the divine presence of God in our lives. He's the light of comfort. He says to the brokenhearted, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says to the lonely, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He is a light of comfort that comes shining upon lonely shepherds and inviting them to see where the Savior has been born to them. He's a light of comfort. He's a light of confirmation. He comes to us and he leads us and guides us He says, whoever believes in me shall not walk in darkness. If your life, if you're living your life and you're not living it in obedience to the Lord Jesus, you'll find your life increasingly confusing and you'll have a harder time coming to points of sureness and certainty. But when you yield to him and you surrender to him and you give your life to him, your periods of confusion and uncertainty begin to dissipate as you obediently walk in the light of his own presence. He's a light of cleansing. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7 through 7 speaks of this cleansing light. This is the message John writes that we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in the darkness and lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There it is. There's light, an answer to keep ourselves holy and pure so that we might enjoy fellowship with one another and the removal of the defilement of sin that is provided for us as Jesus fulfills the promise of Hanukkah. He's the light of commitment. He came. He was born among us. He came to give himself fully to us. He committed to us himself so completely and fully that he died for our sins so that he may live in us forever and we may live in him. He comforts, he confirms, he cleanses, he commits. He's light. What's the application? Worship him. Exalt in him. If this isn't impressive to you, 
You need to understand the defiling nature of sin and you need to survey the world you live in and realize how dark the world is that you're in. You need to long for something beyond what you've come up with. The Bible pronounces woes upon individuals who try to live within the spark of the own life they create. Living in the spark from spark to spark of some little light they can generate. Says their way will be a way into misery. No, you need something more sufficient than that. That cleansing that comes from God alone where he washes us and cleanses us and releases us from that sense of defilement. And I hate saying it, but if, if, if that doesn't impress you and delight you, then I, I pray that God would impress upon you how defiled you are and how defiling sin is. So it would delight you. It would delight you to know that he removes from you all the residue, all the residue of sin. It's not like we forget the memories of things we've done in the past, but that don't weigh us down. They're not a weight against us. Once you've been cleansed and the defilement is removed, you're only reminded that the defilement was removed. You're clean. In the same way, if you're satisfied with your own, the spark of your own moral genius, I pray God would frustrate it. And you'd find out what dark, wretched world your own light will take you into. So that you would long for the beaming, bright, brilliant light of the Savior and live in that light. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.